Welcome to the Dirt Reporters Podcast for the week of August 11th, where we're once again in between weekends with $50,000 paydays between this past weekend's USA Nationals, won by Jonathan Davenport at Cedar Lake Speedway, and the upcoming weekend's North-South 100 at Florence Speedway. I'm DirtOnDirt.com staff writer Joshua Joyner, joined as always by the rest of the Dirt on Dirt editorial staff to discuss both Cedar Lake and Florence, and of course cover a few other notable topics as we do each week here on the podcast. Joining me today, we'll start with Kevin Kovac, who just wrapped up a busy three-week stretch, or I don't, I don't even know how many weeks stretch, but definitely, I know you've been busy the past three weeks there, Kevin, between I-80, Fairbury, and Cedar Lake, where you uh, you kind of feel a relief to get all that finally wrapped up. Yeah, don't forget, it was uh, West Virginia, too. Uh, Beckley started <laughs> right. the, the track there, you know, for the Southern Nationals. But, uh, yeah, it was like from West Virginia to Nebraska to Illinois to, to Wisconsin, it was a it was a good trip. I mean, it was, uh, it's, I, I always liked the Fairbury Cedar Lake, uh, kind of back to back. I, I've been doing that for now and I would, uh, at least 10 years or 11 years or something like that. So it's, uh, it's always a highlight of my year, I think, cause I, cause I just like those two tracks and the atmospheres of those races. And, uh, so, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it, it's good to get a little break now though, from, from the, from the travel back and forth, uh, to the racetrack. So, I mean, I'm still, I think I'm still recovering from the five nights in a row at, at uh, I-80. That was a long <laughs> one. He's a, this Fairbury and Cedar Lake, that didn't, that was like nothing compared to five nights in a row in Nebraska. I hear you. Well, uh, you, so it's a much deserved break there after uh, all those travels, but uh, kind of replacing you, I won't say on the road, uh, at least because it's not too, too far for Todd, our managing editor, to go to Florence this weekend. But uh, Todd will be covering this weekend's 50,000 to win race. It's like we're having one every weekend these days uh, at, at uh, Florence. Todd, you ready for that? Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Kentucky, uh, I guess it's Kentucky's shining star in dirt late mile racing now. And and man, those Saturday night crowds at Florence, woo, they're they're hanging off the grandstands and everywhere else. So um so I have my secret parking place. Don't tell anybody that I know where <laughs> I'm I'm gonna roll in and park on Saturday night. But uh but yeah, the north south will be uh, be a fun weekend. There you go. Expecting another another big crowd at Florence there. So should be should be a good one. And also we have uh, our weekend editor, Robert Holman, who uh, I believe is preparing to, to rejoin the summer nationals. Yes, it's it's still going in case you forgot uh, for this weekend's makeup events at Highland and I-55. And then I, I'll actually have the uh, Michigan swing that wraps it up next week. But uh, Robert, you, uh, you looking forward to going back to the hell tour? Is that is that deal still going on? Really? <laughs> Really? I believe so. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I guess so. Uh, we got uh, Highland and uh, and I fifty five coming up this weekend, and you know it's a busy weekend just in, in general. Twenty five miles from my house, Duck River's got a ten thousand dollars win race, and of course, uh, Talladega Short Track supposed to have a a big race. So um, a lot of things happening right here. So we'll we'll see where I peel off to and, and go to. But as of right now, it's uh it's back on the Hell Tour where I'm supposed to be. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, every weekend seems like a busy weekend these days with all the all the racing going on, which which is a good thing. Speaking of busy, this podcast should be a busy one with plenty to to cover from uh, from Cedar Lake. So we'll start there. And Kevin, like I said, you were there, and it just seemed like a watching the race. It seemed like Kyle Bronson was kind of going to live or die by the cushion, uh, and of course, it didn't go so well for him in the end. Uh, and then, kind of biding his time was Jonathan Davenport there to uh, capitalize and uh, and get the win at what point could you tell it was going to play out like is Bronson going to actually make it to the end here yeah well pretty much from the you know like that lap 20 or so I remember 
go. Well, I was had my eye on Bronson. He goes in the second turn. He's going up to lap Dennis Herb Jr. And he's on the top, still just charging just as much as he had when he took the lead on lap four from Ashton Winger. And he made a little bit of contact. It wasn't very hard, but he made some contact with Herb coming off the corner. Uh, and I'm like, man, he's just, he's just, he's, he's aggressive still in traffic. He's not holding back. And I mean, it was like 20 some laps later, he, uh, after a couple cautions and he's coming off a of turn four trying to lap uh, herb again. And I, he nearly bit the wall coming off of that. And I'm like, man, this, and it wasn't a long late, many laps later where his right rear quarter panel was completely torn off. And, and, uh, as Donison Davenport said, after the race, uh, that kind of, Definitely. If he wasn't married to the top at that before that, he was definitely married to it after that when he lost that quarter panel. And and, and that's what it was. I mean, he just stayed up there and ran that thing for all it's worth. And uh, I, you don't know if, uh, hey, he probably, I, I would imagine he had to thought a little bit afterwards. He did say uh, after he had an incident there when he hit the wall and on lap 74, I believe, when he tried to pass Garrett Alberson with a slider. Uh, to lap him in turn three, he hit the bounce off the wall, scrape mud off the wall and everything. Uh, I think he said, I should have just calmed down a little bit and got my rhythm back and, uh, and, and tried to, you know, keep the lead a little bit better, but he stayed right on it. And it's, I know there was some guy I would talk to Jimmy Owens after the race had just had one little comment says, said, did you think he would be able to make it? Cause Jimmy did follow him for a lot of the race in second place until he broke a drive shaft uh, and J bar. Um, and Jimmy's like, well, uh, I would, I would, I would be surprised if he made it, but I wouldn't be surprised, you know, because he's just, uh, he, he thought it both ways because, uh, Bronson, that's kind of the way he drives up there. He, you saw it a couple of weeks ago when he won the 50 grand at I 80 for the, um, you know, the silver dollar nationals, he was up on the top the whole time, one by half a lap. It just kept going. So uh, it wasn't surprising that he would stay up there and, and, and you know, just, win or die on the top and, and that's kind of what he did i mean it, it really he came it wasn't like a, a piece of the car broke either that put him out he finally lost the lead on that restart to um uh when he lost the lead to jonathan davenport who nice he only went to the top when he had to uh bronson's car ended up getting a flat tire he got to just pulled the left rear wheel off the tire it wasn't like a, a mechanical part broke but uh, which is kind of incredible because he really did uh he he had a well-built car. Let's just put that let's put it that way. That car was put together well and and took of a lot of abuse and and it really it, it could have gone a hundred laps. It was the flat tire that did him in at the end. Yeah, it seemed to be the you kind of mentioned it just a second ago, but the the difference was you know Bronson was married to the top. Like that was it was like he from the beginning said I'm going to run the top and it, I'm going to live or die by the cushion. Whereas Davenport, you only seen him get up there a few times when he had to. Right. And that seemed mm-hmm. to be the difference between, you know, Bronson, had, you know, beating up his stuff and eventually fading back uh, and, and Davenport being there at the end. Um, and that kind of I, I find that as a, a kind of, you know, say an interesting uh, dynamic because it wasn't that long ago where maybe Davenport was the guy that was, was you know, running the cushion the entire race and hoping to hold on. Um, you know, and, and, and Todd, you've obviously seen his career and how, how he's kind of developed does that kind of show how much he's matured as a driver uh to kind of you know know that he can only get only get up there when he has to uh and to save his equipment uh on a really kind of a rough and tumble track uh that we saw there saturday night 
I mean, we, we all get older and wiser, right? I mean, <laughs> um, <laughs> they say, <laughs> uh, and well, and that, that is, uh, I mean, I think you see that happen to, you know, lots of drivers. You look back at, at Shannon bad, you know, like, Oh, he doesn't run the cushion like he does. Well, and uh, all, a lot of those guys and JD fits that thing. And also it's, it's also, uh, um, evaluating the situation and what, you know, am I going to be able to last a hundred laps up there? Well, maybe, but probably not, you know, so, uh, he and he and other guys, uh, who weren't up there, you know, they weren't, uh, <laughs> I mean, Bronson, Bronson was the show. There's no doubt about that. I mean, he's out there. The fact that he made it that far, really, I mean, if it's an 80 lap race or 75 lap race or whatever he wins, I mean, and, and you're like, Oh my goodness, how did he make it? Uh, so it's pretty, uh, it, it, it's interesting that so those, those other guys can watch him out there and think, well, I know I'm going to try to win this race, but I'm not going to do that. I, I had a good comment from uh, Scott Bloomquist after the race, was just talking to him, uh, to, do work, to work out a story about him and Nick Hoffman and all, and just like talking after, after I kind of like turned the recorder off, just talking a little bit more, and, and he Talking about Kyle Bronson, I think Scott Bloomquist is a, is a guy who can evaluate things pretty well from all his years of racing. And he, he looked at, uh, he said, Bronson, man, I tell you what, man, he put a show on. He was entertaining me. But I, I, I got, I look, he said, I, I look at it this way. It's like when you're running through the, through the woods, well, you know, you're running through the woods scared. Somebody's uh, chasing you in the woods. Uh, you keep running in, in the dark and you're going to hit a tree eventually <laughs> you know and and uh that's kind of again it wasn't he didn't break a, a part to knock him out but he did get over that cushion several times and finally pulled that uh, left rear wheel off and, and i guess uh i guess he did hit that tree like uh like a Bloomquist, uh, uh analyzed of, of the situation an interesting analogy there uh running riding the <laughs> you always get that from running through the woods <laughs> in the dark yeah. <laughs> i was like where is he way. going with this one when he started that was scott started saying that but i'm like eh, i guess that's <laughs> right yeah you do run into a tree if it's in the dark and got somebody chasing you so yeah sometimes better to slow down and, and feel feel your way a little <laughs> more carefully perhaps uh robert what do you think there uh, about uh davenport's win as far as you know looking at his season uh i know he did take back over the top spot in our top 25 poll this week um you know him and him and uh, overton have kind of come, gone back and forth with kind of who's hot and who's on top uh where do you how do you view his season now after he's got his second fifty thousand dollar payday of the season yeah it's uh it's about time right i mean we've been doing all, <laughs> all season jd come on man uh no seriously it's uh it, it was about time uh, it, you you kind of felt like the last uh eight ten races that uh that he had had not really performed as as well as he had hoped uh, to perform. Uh, he had that runner-up finish, I think, at February, and that three thousand dollars win race. And uh, uh, you know, you got a guy who's as hot as he is, uh, and they'll all tell you, of course, you know, oh, it could end at any time, you know. But you know, do they really believe that? You know, do they really believe that? Oh, it's gonna it's gonna end for me. Maybe I think they maybe think that it's gonna end for the next guy. Uh, but you know, eight or ten races here, he hadn't really, uh, you know, put a a spectacular performance on the board, and uh, and so it was about time. Uh, I think that it's just kind of a, a a work of his season as a whole. You know, uh, like you said, with him and and uh, Overton back and forth, uh, who are you going to vote for this week in the top uh, in, the, in the poll to be the top driver? And I guess it's 
We're going to go back and forth all season and see who keeps winning these races back and forth. Talk about that top 25 point. Yeah, Brandon Overton said to me after the race, he goes, man, y'all guys, uh, you make sure you, you vote JD number one this week because I never win when I'm number one. I always win when I'm number two, he said. So I'm like, I'm not sure if that's totally true. Like we checked the stats on that. But uh, but anyway, uh, Jonathan, uh, yeah, I, th- I think he, he might end up being number one now, right? So <laughs> I was going to say I definitely think Overton's won plenty while he's been number one. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> And one other thing I wanted to mention there about about Jonathan was let's not forget that like the day before on Friday, he he was knocked out. I mean, he, during that first of the two heat races, he's, uh, he's going for the lead. He had had made a pretty good run and he was going to get some really good passing points from the rear of the field. Uh, and all of a sudden this car veers off into the infield. He slides to a stop on the inside of turn three and four. I'm like, that's not normal. I mean, something I mean, he either broke something really bad or, or something really went wrong. And, and then you see the ambulance crew go over to him and he was stunned. He was, uh, he says he, he doesn't even remember coming off a of turn two and sliding into the infield because something came up off the truck. Well, I mean, it was a clot of mud because it was on his shoulder uh, and it hit him in the face and kind of in the, in the right side of his, uh, his helmet took one of the little, uh, little uh, filter, little fan of uh, filter things off of his helmet even. And, um, Kind of bent, he did show, made his uh, cheek was uh, pretty, was a little swollen, didn't get a black eye or anything, but knocked him out hard enough to to leave him stunned there. And then he kind of got his faculties back. He said he realized he was at Cedar Lake and he went right back out there. But, um, yeah, of course, that, that I don't know if that would happen maybe if that would have been an NFL football game. Uh, we have to, I guess, imagine that because they probably would have had him in that little tent over there, the, the uh, uh, concussion protocol to put him through all that stuff. But, he just stayed and he put his helmet back on, said, I'm good, and went back out and picked up more spots and then won the heat race later in the night and comes back and wins the feature the next day. Obviously, he didn't have any ill effects other than a, a swollen cheek, but thought that was uh, – you, you don't see a guy usually get knocked out one day and win 50 grand the next. No, I, I'm actually glad you mentioned that. I'd forgotten about that with all the storylines that were going on, but that is an interesting – it's crazy that not only was he – not doubt or not loopy, whatever you want to say it was in the, in the heat race. But then he came back not only to win the next day, but he finished that race, that heat race after, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, slowing to a stop. And, uh, he said, waking up and realizing where he was. And that's kind of a, kind of a wild story there. It kind of reminds me of my, my dad, who was a motorcycle racer back in the day. And he'd tell stories of when he got fall and get hit in the head and forget where he was and still going to win the race and not even realize that he had won the race until two days later. Uh, kind of some crazy, <laughs> uh, crazy situation there. And like you said, if it was a, a different sport, um, there's maybe a chance that Davenport wouldn't have been back on the track, at least not for that, that heat race, uh, the same race there that it happened in, but, um, good, glad he wasn't, uh, you know, anything more serious from, uh, from that situation there. Cedar Lake wasn't the only big race of the weekend. Merritt Speedway in Merritt, uh, Michigan had a 33,000 to win race, the, the wood tick weekend. There was the Sunoco ALMS series, and uh, that one was actually a pretty good one. If you missed that, uh, you should go check out the highlights on that one. Uh, Rusty Schlink kind of came out of out of nowhere, I would say. I was watching it on flow, and it uh, didn't seem like he had a chance. Uh, Eric Spangler had kind of dominated the race, and it even pulled away on a, a late restart. And then, uh, and I think uh, Schlink even said it, in the last five laps there, he just went pretty much all out. 
uh, and he had to have like the, the perfect lap on the last lap to uh, to complete the pass and, and get the win. And he did winning in uh, pretty much a photo finish, uh, taking the lead off of turn four on the last lap and winning in, like I said, a, a pretty much a photo finish for his biggest heyday. Um, with Schlink and uh, Todd, I'm going to uh, turn to you on this one as well, because I know you've covered him a lot and kind of being from that, that Midwest area. I've seen him a lot. I mean, is it pretty pretty cool not not only to see him get his biggest win, but to do it in such a, a thrilling fa- fashion? A guy that's been around for so long, uh, won a lot of races, you know, uh, dirt car national champion and all that. To see him get that big win and the way he did it uh, had to kind of be a, a, a special moment for him, I'd imagine. Yeah, that was. Uh... I kind of slowed down that video or, or watched it over and over. And it did look like Spangler, like kind of in the middle of turn three, something, his car stumbled a little bit. He didn't like get out of shape necessarily or whatever, but something happened that wasn't quite right. And from that point on, you could see Schlink start to sling around him. And really he, he got far enough ahead that he was holding, holding his fist out the window as he crossed the line. So that's pretty good uh, reaction time by Rusty. But, but yeah, for a guy like him, he wins lots of races. Uh, but usually, if he goes for big money, he's stepping up in competition to the very best drivers. So for him, and he's had good runs and big major events, uh, uh, Gateway and the, the occasional national touring event. But but to win those races and get ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars is is unusual. So so to to basically kind of in his neck of the woods get a chance to race for thirty three thousand dollars, which he and he and those other guys did is. Uh, you know, it's kind of it's kind of cool. Um, I guess you kind of that does strike me though. I, you know, you look at that field. I guess there was 34 cars or something. And they, in essence, it was the same field that might have been if they were running for 5,000 to win. Uh, which, you know, I, I think it's great. With the Wood Tech is their big weekend, and that's great that they put big money on the line. But but I always I often wonder this when and not particular to this race, but anybody that puts up big money or whatever they do, what is what is your goal? Is it to to reward the drivers? And if it is, that's great. But sometimes it's to draw bigger names. Sometimes it's to draw a bigger car count. Um, what whatever it is. But in this case, you know, you, you get the feeling like that it was a race similar to what it would have been for again a lower purse. Um, uh, you know, you can argue both sides of that, you know, what you want, uh, what you want when you put big money on, on the line for those guys that showed up there is great for them. There's like, Hey, we, we know the competition it's against these mostly Michigan and, and Ohio guys that are, that are the same guys we, we race in all the special events around here. And, uh, and one of us gets to win a bunch of money and everybody else, you know, maybe a little more than usual from that, from a purse like that. But, uh, but good for, good for Rusty. I mean, he, uh, uh, he, he's a, he's a true racer. I mean, he has just been in it, you know, he builds his own chassis. He, you know, races, uh, go, you know, takes these crazy trips sometimes and shows up in Mississippi or, or Illinois or whatever, just on a random weekend. So he's, he's a racer's racer. So it's, uh. You know, you can't you can't help but to be happy for him. Yeah, definitely a big win for him. And you bring up a, an interesting uh, point there with the the, tur- the car count, not necessarily car count, but just the turnout of drivers at Merritt. It, it really, I thought the same thing whenever I saw the field was like I think they'd have had the same field for a you know five or ten thousand to win race. So it's it's one of those things where for those drivers it worked out really well. Uh, and for Rusty Schlink and even for Eric Spangler, uh, heartbreak aside, he still I think won ten thousand dollars. So um, Definitely, uh, you know, an interesting 
dynamic there whenever races that pay more it's just hard you know as we talk about it with all these high paying races it doesn't necessarily mean just because you're throwing put money out there you're going to get a, a bigger car count or a or more names perhaps um so definitely interesting maybe another topic for another time uh on that um but yeah in kind of a, a trans or a um uh comparison there we saw the way uh uh bronson lost I would say, I mean, you might argue there's other reasons he lost Cedar Lake, but he lost it because he was running the top. But uh, Schlink won uh, Merritt by running the top. And he wasn't as, you know, the track itself wasn't as hard on the equipment uh, as Cedar Lake was. He wasn't as married to the top. He, he wasn't hammering the entire time. He even mentioned how he kind of just just rode the second uh, the middle portion of the race before really turning it up and, and, and putting the pressure on there at the end. And it kind of, it kind of brought up an interesting, uh, as thought for me is like, what, what's more thrilling? Is it more thrilling or, or impressive? I guess when you see a guy like, like Davenport, uh, kind of, kind of take it easy and ride and, 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 and not use the top and end up winning the race. Uh, as I think some people said on the track instead of on the cushion, or when you see a guy who gets up on the top and hammers it in the style of Kyle Bronson or, or maybe a Bobby Pierce and, and, uh, you know, rides the cushion to a big win. So I, I wonder what's more impressive to you guys after, you know, cause we've, we've kind of had this debate going back to Eldora. I think, uh, K Kevin, you wrote a story about, uh, some of the guys talking about how, uh, um, how Overton won on the track while other guys, you know, however, were forced to run the cushion kind of what, what do you see as more impressive? And Kevin, I'll start with you cause you did have that, that story kind of on that topic. Yeah, it's uh, it, it's like when you see this guy like uh, Overton and just so smooth and patient and and uh, and, and that's a lot of the way like uh, uh, Scott Bloomquist has won most of the race. You don't see Scott Bloomquist up there hammering the cushion to win races. Uh, it, it's impressive, like how how in control they could be. Uh, so so that's a, on one hand. But I mean, I, I tell you what, if there's not a cushion, a lot of races won't be very exciting. I mean, like let, let, let's be honest here i mean a lot of these races that like a bobby pierce i remember bobby pierce winning i-80 a few years ago over chris madden who wasn't running when madden was in the uh the scott bloomquist racing car uh madden said like if there's no cushion i win the race and again if he wins that race it's probably not going to be remembered as well because bobby pierce made this awesome charge at the end and was just like on the ragged edge and and that's really isn't that what racing is kind of supposed to be about you know it's supposed to be the death defying uh uh you know on the edge exciting thing uh, and, and if nobody's bumping into each other if nobody's running that cushion and getting out of shape i mean there's not going to be, you're not going to go, ooh, ah, I mean, it's, it's not, I, I know that's not the, the best way to make the money, you know, like look at Scott Bloomquist, how much money he has made, Brandon Overton this year, the guys that are patient are going to make the money, but for fan wise, you want to see something uh, crazy happening out there, you know, like, I mean, you, baseball, you want to see home runs, you, you want to see, uh, you want to see offense in the, in the, in the NFL, you know, um, I don't like soccer because there's barely any scoring. I, I mean, I don't, I don't like watching soccer because it seems like they never, I know Todd won't like that because he's a season ticket holder, but I've told him that before, you know, <laughs> give me some, uh, I want some indoor soccer where they score more or something, <laughs> but, but uh, I, I like it when there's that cushion. I, I don't know about running it the entire time, but I like to having that option. If somebody can get up there and go do it, Hey, I mean, it makes it, a, it makes one heck of a race, I think, uh, rather than everybody kind of just 
tiptoeing around uh, and, and going slower. I like to see cars go fast like that sometimes up on the top and, and really hang it out there. How dare you uh, insult soccer for us uh, soccer fans? <laughs> I'm and myself here, but uh, Todd, what, what do you think uh, there? You got a, a preference? So you'd rather see someone win it, hammer in the cushion, or uh, conservative and and uh, more smooth in the in the middle? What do you think? I mean, I guess that's one thing I like about dirt racing is is the drivers that can be good at all those things or whatever the conditions require. Uh, it, it makes it very interesting. Um, now, definitely the, the excitement and the danger and the, oh, is he going to wreck is more the guys who are up, up, you know, beating up against the wall or the cushion or whatever. And that those, those are more, more exciting races for sure. And, and as Kevin kind of alluded to earlier this week, it's like for us, uh, for us reporters, it's like, oh, well, well I'll get to write about this guy for one for either good or bad. You know, something's going to come out of this. Um, but to me, in, in the real and I know it's more technical and not quite as interesting and not as not as thrilling, but I love when drivers figure out a way on a on a smooth or slick track where other drivers are having difficulty finding a quick way around to watch somebody work the track and to figure out a way to make their car go faster, even if it's slowly picking cars off after. And I, you know, when I think about that, I think about the old West Plains way back in the day, that, that track you would, the drivers would be like, could get no traction. You could see some guys going around. They were, it was just hopeless, but then other guys could figure out something that would just make them, so much faster, and I know in the thrill on the thrill meter it doesn't rank as high, but the in, but to me the intricacy and technicality of watching someone do something that clearly his competitors can't do and kind of figuring it out or having his car right to do that, um, to me I, I I find there's some charm to that or some you know something to that 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 really is fascinating. So I'm, you know it's. It's two different things and, and running down low, you know, some guy who's just a constant bottom feeder, kind of the same thing. You have different ways of racing and you can, uh, uh, yeah, you can appreciate them all for what they are. But definitely the, the cushion banging guys are the guys that are going to be, you know, in the picture the next day. Yeah, and perhaps the guys, besides the winner, selling the T-shirts, uh, perhaps, too, and thrilling the fans. But I'll add one thing you mentioned there, Todd, about seeing guys that kind of search and find a groove over time on a track and find a, a line that no one else is running. One thing I kind of along those same lines, one thing I like is when you see a guy who, uh, you know, reaches a guy and they're battling for a position on a track that has multiple grooves and is racy, uh, and then he works him and works him and gets him to move his line and then to pass him. Right. Like that's one thing I like to see. You don't see it very often, but whenever, you know, it's kind of almost like a chess match watching uh, two guys go at it. And and if one guy, you know, the car that's leading or ahead is in the other guy's way or kind of holding his blocking his line when he can kind of work him, work him, get him to move his line just a little bit and then use that to his advantage. That's one uh, something I kind of I think is pretty cool to see um, something different. Like you said, it's not as thrilling as a, you know, someone banging the cushion and and ride or riding the wall, but it's definitely a, like I said, a, a chess match that makes it a little more interesting, I guess. Robert, what about you? What do you think? You, you like to see them banging the cushion or uh, kind of winning it in, in the, in the track, as they say. Well, for starters, anybody that says that the cushion's not in the track, they're, they're wrong. The cushion's part of the racetrack too. Uh, uh, the, the, the Uke tires, uh, also part of the racetrack. Uh, I don't advise you hit them. 
but if you want to stick your nose down there and scrape them uh, and try to get a little traction down there too, that's 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 fine too. Um, the track is from the track goes from the bottom where you're not going to wreck to the top where you're not going to wreck. That's the racetrack. So you know, I, I I do think that I've been to a lot of places with my brother and thought, why can these fools not race on a slick racetrack? Um, you know that they these people get up on the cushion and they have a, have to have a heavy racetrack and and it's really good. And uh, and I'm not saying that like uh, Bronson or Pierce or any of those guys are are caliber of people that I'm talking about here when I'm talking about where me and my brother might show up on a random Saturday. Uh, but I'm just saying, um, you've got, you've got guys who have an affinity for the cushion. You have a guys like a Dennis Herb who has, you know, an affinity to get down in the, in the bottom of the racetrack. You know, my stepdad won about 125 races in a really, really long career of limited late model type racing. And I, and I remember sometimes he would come off the track. And I would say, why didn't you get up the racetrack or why didn't you move up the track and you maybe could have passed that guy? Or you could have, you know, ran second tonight instead of third or whatever. And he say, well, my car is not set up to run up there. And I'm like, really? Okay. So, and, and that's fine. But, you know, back in the day when you're, when you're fabricating your own parts and, and, and things were a whole lot different back then, you know, uh, I truly believe that his car was not set up there. That he was married to the bottom. Uh, 99% of the time that he raced, he was married to the bottom. What impresses me the most is a balanced race car that you can put anywhere. That is literally what every driver searches for, I think. I think that they are out there searching for a balanced race car that when they catch a lap car, if he's in the bottom, they can go up to the top and pass him without losing much ground or vice versa. They catch a lap car and he's, you know, he's in the top and that's where he needs he can drop down and pass him without losing much ground. That's to me that is what drivers search for and 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 when they talk about balance and they talk about getting out uh you know in, in a race like that JD clearly had enough balance where he could go up top and not and not upset things too much, but then get back down and run where he wanted to, to be a little more conservative and still be fast. That's very, very impressive. Uh, Rusty Slink was clearly, and you go back and listen to the interview with him, he said, I had about three to four laps on my tires that I knew I could really go, and then I was going to be too tight. And I watched, I went back and watched that race uh, this morning, actually. And Rusty's car, Rusty started on the pole. Rusty's car, the, when he come off of, when he came off of turn four to start that race, he was already beginning to rock over on his right rear a little bit and pick up the left front tire just a, just a smidgen. And I thought to myself, when I saw that, I'm like, man, this cat is too tight to start this race. He's way too tight already to start this race. So then to watch that race and see him just kind of maintain for so long, and then, bam, he's there at the end driving by a guy on the outside at the end. I was sitting here waiting on another caution. I'm like, there's no way he's catching him 
without another caution, you know, with three to go or two to go or something like that. And all of a sudden he drives by him. So, um, so I don't really have, you know, a preference cushion or if you ask me if my brother's up on the cushion, I'm like, Oh, it makes me nervous because, you know, I'm wondering what kind of parts I got to replace when he gets home, you know, plus, you know, a lot of times when I see, when I see a guy up on that cushion, it just makes you think, man, this guy has no regard for his equipment. And I'm not saying all those guys are like that because sometimes that's the only place to go. But when you get up on that cushion, man, sometimes it's, it's, and I've, I've, and I've told my brother this before. I'm like, listen, if you're going to go up there and race, you've, I don't care if we have another car. I don't care if we got another motor. You have to go up there on that cushion and race it like you've got another car parked in the, at the trailer over here. That's the only way to be successful. Because if you go up there on the cushion and you're timid, you will get in trouble in a in a, a heartbeat, and you'll wind up turning your right front into the wall, and then all of a sudden you're sitting out two weeks because your car's on jack stands while you order all new right front suspension. So you know that's that's my take on the cushion. If you're going to do it, do it. You know, but but be prepared for the consequences. Kyle Bronson always seems to be prepared for the consequences. I guess. You know, and 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 Bobby and those guys who live and die up there. So, uh, so definitely thrilling. Definitely makes it thrilling for us fans, for sure. Yeah, you, you bring up an interesting point about if you're going to run the cushion, you got to pretty much run it like you you got another car, you know, waiting in the trailer. You can't be timid and and take it easy up there. And that brings up an interesting point. Uh, Matt Henderson won the uh, ten thousand to win race, uh, limited late model race at Wartburg speedway on friday and i was watching that one um late into the wee hours unfortunately but he was the same way he won that one riding the cushion was really the only guy on the top and it was like he even had a straightaway lead and he never slowed down like he was running the cushion for all it was worth the entire race and at the end they asked him the uh, uh, announcer asked him you know kind of about you know <laughs> i mean he almost lost it a couple of times and even i think he knocked his radiator out with like two to go um still managed to win, but the announcer asked him, you know, why were you running it so hard then? He's like, well, I was scared if I slowed down, I would end up wrecking, right? Like if you're going to run the cushion, you have to run it pretty much all out. And it's uh, an interesting aspect that even when you have that big of a lead, if you're running the cushion, you kind of, you kind of have to uh, continue to, to run it all out and run it, run it hard like that. Um, but I mean, sometimes it, sometimes it pays off such as Matt Henderson and then uh, Rusty Slink and uh, others, Kyle Bronson doesn't quite, quite work out. I mean, it did work out for him at I-80, um, but not at, at Cedar Lake. So it's just kind of one of those uh, hit or miss sometimes. What do you think, Robert? Well, I mean, you're exactly right about uh, about going all out and missing your mark because if you go in there and try to take it easy on the cushion, you can go and take it easy on the bottom of a racetrack and miss your mark and not wipe your race car out. But if you go in there at the top of the racetrack and miss your mark, you've wiped out your race car. I mean, there's a big, big difference. I mean, running the top, run, getting up on the cushion and running the, the, the top up there is just as technical. So it's, it's, there are different, you know, there are different variables up there because you never know lap to lap what you're going to get. But it's just as technical to get up there and run on top as it is to run around the Ute tires. You've got, to, you know, it is technical in both aspects. So if you think that you're going to just, sling it up there to the top of the wall and then mash the gas again and go on the next lap without a plan, you probably won't be in this discussion in terms of 
do we think he's going to make it 100 laps? Because that's not the type of cushion drivers, you know, that, that we're talking about here. You've got to be very technical up there on, on the cushion and, and be prepared to, to know when to throttle up to keep from your right front turning into the wall and just, you know, different aspects like that. So, so it's a, uh, it, it's very tricky top or bottom. And, and uh, you know, obviously for me personally, my favorite race is when I can see somebody running around the Uke tires and somebody banging the wall and they, and all of a sudden they meet at the flag stand. You know, I, I can't, I can't ask for a much better race than that. Well, maybe if you had you know one or two more guys right in the middle, would be uh, would be good as well. What do you got? What do you got, Kevin? Uh, yeah, it's like uh, the thing Robert takes makes a good point there with like, hey, you still that's this will take some uh, technical racing to run that top. I mean, you got to be good, and and that's what Brandon Overton said after the race. And Overton, of course, he was another one. He didn't. He had like a tenth place car, and he ended up second at Cedar Lake just because of his patience. And he never he, he knew he wasn't good enough to even go run up there and and bang it around. So just hey, hang out here and, and race. But he had said about Bronson. Hey, uh, it takes talent to do that. You you got to be a badass. He he likes he always likes that word badass. You know you got to be a badass up there to to be able to run the run the cushion like that. So many laps and and uh, it's it's not like you're just like up there. It's like a, a cushion rider just doesn't just hammer it. And because I've heard all these you know like Bobby Pierce's and and Josh Rice uh, there was comments about him when he won at Beckley, uh, the Southern Nationals race. People are saying, man, he really can run that cushion. You know it's everybody can't do it. Everybody can't run that cushion. Like, like some guys can, I mean, they're just, uh, they have a special knack for running up there. So it does take a, a, a talent, just like it takes a talent to run smooth through the middle or, or on the bottom or anything. So I think that's a, that's a good point. Robert brings up. Yeah, it's definitely a, uh, it's not easy or at least it doesn't look easy. Um, looks <laughs> quite difficult and, and, almost scary sometimes watching those guys that run it uh run it the way they do especially in situations like it was at cedar lake with bronson as treacherous as it as it was all right well uh we speaking of uh big races we have another fifty thousand to win race this weekend coming up in uh florence speedways north south 100 and uh, a handful of other uh notable events on the weekend so i figured we'd do we kind of did this last week but uh we'll each uh, bring up one storyline we're watching for the big race on the weekend that would of course be uh, the North South, and then one storyline uh, you're watching elsewhere, and we'll kind of keep these uh, quick hitting. And I'll start. I'll go with uh, at the North South. I've got my eye on Ricky Thornton Jr. Of course, last year he put on a <clears throat> a stirring run, uh, riding the cushion most of the way uh, at the North South, and uh, came up a little short. He faded there at the end. Um, I think ended up way back, uh, pretty pretty far back. He knocked his core. Uh, spoiler off and had some issues but uh, he had a good run going i think at one point had briefly kind of edged into the lead uh before like i said he faded and that was you know that was part of his uh you know part-time late model uh, year where he had a lot of uh, big wins and and good runs and kind of kind of set the world on fire a little bit um you know and and made all this anticipation for his first full uh year in late models this year uh and it kind of started out decent but he's really kind of tapered off here uh lately so i think maybe going back to to Florence where he had a good, you know, ran well for part of the race last year. Maybe he can put it all together, have a good run and, uh, and bounce back and, and build some momentum for the second half of the year as he continues on the Lucas Oil tour elsewhere. I'll have my eye on Talladega short track, 10,000 to win. I think Robert mentioned this Southern all-stars race there this weekend. Uh, kind of looking to see how that field is. You got a course North South, you got a 10,000 to win and duck river. I'm just interested to see, uh, with not many drivers following that series this year, uh, what kind of field that that event draws and uh and you know and always a decent 
a decent field of local competitors at Talladega. Um, see how it uh, kind of shakes out there as uh, the Southern All-Stars uh, hold one of their biggest races of the year. All right, Robert, I'll go to you. What do you got? One thing you're watching at Florence and one thing you'll be watching elsewhere this weekend. Uh, well, you know, for me at Florence, uh, you know, I'm I'm wondering if another Kentucky guy is ever going to win is ever going to win this race. Uh, I think that Jack Boggs, Todd, Mike can correct me if I'm wrong, but I think Jack Boggs is the is the only uh, driver from the state of Kentucky to win to win this race. Uh, you know, Daryl Lanigan's never won it. Uh, you know, there and he lives up the street. Uh, there, there are guys who, uh, um, you know, I'm like, oh yeah, there's another guy, Pat Patrick. He, he, he's no, he's from Ohio. You know, and then you look down through the list and you're like, no, well, nope, that guy's from from uh, you know Ohio as well, or that guy's from West Virginia. So you know, I'm I'm waiting to see if another Kentucky guy can break through and and win this race, and I think that would be a great storyline once it happens. Uh, I think that's going to be for whoever Todd Turner, for whoever happens to be there, it's going to be an excellent uh, you know story right there for a Kentucky guy to to win this race again. That's kind of what I'm looking for um, uh, at Florence. Uh, you know, around the around the country i guess i'm definitely curious to see how many people have a midsummer hangover and show up at you know the highland race for the 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 dirt car summer nationals reboot or whatever it's called whatever we're going to call this last stretch here Uh, so you know i'm curious to see who's going to show up for that and decide to run the last six seven races on that deal and, um, and naturally, in my, my own backyard, Duck River, you know, a, a, one of their biggest races uh, in a couple of seasons, 10,000 to win Ironman race. So definitely, you know, I really feel like that this race here has a at Duck River has a great potential to to give somebody a, a career best payday. Maybe, you know, some some local guy or some Middle Tennessee guy can uh, can win it. Uh, so that's kind of what I'm looking for in my neck of the woods. Todd, I feel like Robert's kind of calling out your home state there with the uh, mention in the home, the lack of home state winners there at the North-South. Hey, 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 uh, hey, it's a shock. It is an absolute shock with how many great <laughs> racers are from up there that you like. I, I actually did think Pat Patrick was from Kentucky for so long. And then, you know, I'm like, oh, wait, no, he's not. So. Now I'm not not calling you out, Todd, on that. I just uh, I just think that it's gonna with you being from Kentucky and that's your it's your bread and butter right there that you're gonna be a great it's gonna be a great story to tell when it ever happens. Yeah, well, I guess Landigan and Rice are the two guys that maybe would have the best shot. Eddie Carrier Jr. of course is a Kentucky native and had been racing out of West Virginia many years when he won it. So I, I think uh, in the lack of a true Kentucky winner, you know, kind of Kentucky folks kind of latched onto onto Eddie there a few years ago. Um, for me at Florence, I, I what inter- intrigues me there is that that track is a hundred lap track is no joke. You know, you don't you don't just you know have a good car there and run off and win a hundred laps very often. Usually, there's guys that come from the back or that are kind of pace themselves and can really turn it up there with the last 20 laps to go as McCready did last year winning. So that track, uh, it's kind of like Eldora in that, in some ways, you know, some of the, some tracks really lend themselves to being 
kind of a specific long distance racetrack. And I think uh, whoever's ready at the end will have a chance while you'll see some of those guys who might have looked promising uh, earlier midway through the race who end up fading. Um, other than Florence, um, you know, Darren Klein of Fairview Heights, Illinois, he almost won. At, uh, or not almost won. He was leading and got knocked out of the lead. Uh, last year in Highland Summer Nationals race. He's still looking for his first victory on that tour, uh, and he'll get a couple shots this weekend. And he's coming off two, two wins in a row. He won at Tri-City and Highland uh, in regular season events this past weekend. So, so not to put any pressure on Darren, but I'm sure he would dearly like to win. And Highland is kind of the track you get to feel like that would be the place he could win a Summer Nationals race. So I'll keep an eye on him. There you go. What, what do you got, uh, Kevin? One thing for Florence and one thing elsewhere this weekend you'll be watching. Yeah, Florence, uh, definitely. The it's Todd, as mentioned, it's it's a hundred lap track, and and that cushion seems to be there quite a bit in a hundred laps. Uh, it, it's it's usually there at the end of the race too. And uh, the, the guy I'll be watching there would be one of the Kentucky boys is Josh Rice. Remember, he won his first ever Lucas Oil race at Florence earlier this year, and. And that was a heck of a party, I believe, after the race was over. Um, so uh, imagine what would happen if uh, Josh Rice goes and wins the the North South 100. That would, uh, I think, they'll be there till the sun comes up uh, celebrating that one. It would be a pretty cool scene. I mean, I know uh, that Eddie Carrier win a few years ago that made for a a really neat uh, uh, post race, uh, you know, emotion. Uh, with him winning, so I, I, I it would be really neat to see Josh Rice win that. But I mean, will he be able to last? I mean, again, I'm sure he'll be up on the cushion. He's <laughs> so uh, we'll have to see if he if he makes it to the end of the race because it's uh, it's 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 not easy to do there, <laughs> you know, when you when you um, uh, for for that long of a distance. Definitely. All right, I guess that will uh, do it. Uh, well. <clears throat> All right, we'll wrap up this week's edition of the podcast like we do every week with our one more thing where we each go around and uh, uh, give something that uh, stood out to us from the past week, whether it's a race result, news item, or something else going on. Uh, I'll start this week. I kind of already mentioned this, but uh, I was going to mention Matt Henderson winning at Wartburg is the uh, Wartburg Speedway in Tennessee is the highest paying late model race ever held at the track. Uh, the track has hosted a World of Outlaws race in the past, but I believe it was a 7,500 to win race. Uh, I believe it was won by Tim McCready. Uh, I want to say it was like 2010 or something like that. But uh, as I mentioned, I stayed up and watched that one into the wee hours of the morning, uh, but was uh, rewarded with a pretty good race. Uh, Henderson and Kenny Collins had a, a good race going until Collins got tangled with a lap car. Uh, and then Henderson kind of controlled the rest of the distance. Uh, driving as a substitute driver for Derek York, who uh, had to miss the race uh, while dealing with, with COVID. Um, so anyway, it was a big win for him and a uh, big race night for Wartburg Speedway. Uh, Todd, what do you got for one more thing? Well, this will this will be one more thing, and it probably won't be the last time. It may be a one more thing in, in years down the line, but Delmas Conley at 79 years old. Uh, won his first super late model feature in a couple of years. 561 on his career, if you're counting. Uh, at 79, I'm not sure I'd be able to crawl in a race car. I'm not sure I can crawl in one now. Uh, so really, Delmas <laughs> Conley, that, the Hall of Famer, quite a, uh, yeah, amazing that he races at such a high level at his age. Uh, so uh, maybe uh, I'll be telling the story again when he's 80 and 81 and 82. But uh, good for Delmas. 
yeah, definitely uh, an impressive feat at uh at that age. Uh, what about you, Robert? What do you got for one more thing? Uh, down in Mississippi, uh, we don't talk about those guys um, much. It doesn't seem like, but uh, Brian Rickman picked up a, a state series win uh, when the the uh, series made its first ever trip to Outlaw Speedway in Perkinston. I think that's how you say it, Perkinston, Mississippi. Uh, apparently, it's a new track down there that uh, I have not yet laid eyes on. But uh, anytime there's a new track and a I think they only had 14 or 15 cars, but uh, Brian, congratulations, Brian, on the win down there. He outran his brother, uh, Rick Rickman, to to win that race. So it's kind of a family affair for the Rickmans down there. Yeah, I myself have been trying to, uh, looking forward to getting over and checking out the new Outlaw Speedway. Haven't had a chance yet, but that one's not too far from me down here in the Florida Panhandle. Kevin, what do you got? Finish up for one more thing. Uh, and how about uh, Devin Moran? Uh, he stays close to home again and goes and wins $10,000 Friday night at West Virginia. Didn't get a flat tire in West Virginia finally. It seems like every time he's races in West Virginia this year, uh, he's had a, a chance to win dive bomb by a flat tire. And then he went over to Wayne County Speedway and then, you know, his home state of Ohio won 5000 on Saturday. And this, this follows up two ten grand wins last week um, in Ohio. Uh, so pretty good. I mean, that's thirty five grand. In two weeks for uh, for Devin Moran, right near home. Uh, and, and I remember I, when I was at Beckley for the Southern Nationals, Ray Cook uh, and, and Devin had been there and got a flat tire again, you know, a couple flat tires, I think, in that race. So, uh, But Ray Cook was over talking to him after the race, trying to, like, you know, talk to him and ask, ask him, hey, you know, I think of running the whole Southern Nationals. And Devin was like, man, I... I got two 10 grand races back in my backyard next week. I got another one in the week after. I mean, man, it's it's tough for me to go run a, a series. I got a lot of good races and, and then he goes and wins all pretty much. And he's won all of them, you know, so it made it pay off and it's uh, you can't beat winning that much money in your backyard. And, and Devin's really had a great year. And, uh, and, and he's at that point now where he can go and win those races with regularity uh, uh, around home when they pay and, and they're paying good money now. So it's, it, it's it's hard for him to go traveling far away when he can win that kind of money uh, so close. Yeah, he's definitely uh, showing uh, how those, those guys with the uh, pick and choose outlaw schedule, whenever, whatever you call it, uh, it can be profitable. He's definitely having a good year doing that this year. All right, I think that's going to do it for this week's edition of the podcast. We'll be back next week with another episode. I'll have a great week. 